0: We begin by acknowledging that the land on which we produce this podcast is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe people. This territory is covered by the Upper Canada Treaties. We acknowledge the enduring presence of First Nation, Métis and Inuit people on this land, and we believe it is important to move forward in the spirit of reconciliation and respect. Hi, I'm Kimberly McKenzie. And I'm Paul Nazareth. Welcome. To, the, to intersect. the intersection. Today, it's just charity well being consultant Claire Warner and I sharing an intimate conversation of survival, resilience, and how she built a life worth living. Claire helps organizations and individuals see the value of putting healthy culture at their core to improve motivation, performance, and get results. I hope this conversation helps you build a life where you are able to make your own well-being a priority. I thought it might be nice, because we're all about women for the next couple of weeks, uh, thanks to International Women's Day, for you to maybe share a little bit about your story. Where were you? What happened? And where are you now? Is that too big? (laughs) How long have we got? (laughs) (laughs) I'll rein you in if it gets too long. Okay. Okay. Okay, so
1: I I am Claire Warner. I live in Lancashire in England. I am a Hamlet on the top of a hill in the middle of nowhere. That's a life choice. And probably in a few minutes time, you will understand why I made that life choice. Uh, When I was little, my family my well both my parents families were very charitable in the widest sense of the world Um they were churchgoers that was how charity was in those days you you were active in your community your church was your hub uh to the extent where my dad's dad my grandpa was in fact the church vicar in his local town uh and my mum's dad my granddad was the church organist and I grew up in a do-gooding family, if you will. Uh, my dad, uh, when I was born, was our local vicar, uh, oh, and then went from, as he the, says, "You were the
0: yeah. vicar's daughter." So daughter, no joy. for you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Rub off. <laughs> I've often wondered. I thought, "Oh, that's so much pressure to be that family." Yeah. Nah. No, it wasn't. Pressure. Pretty no. relaxed. Uh,
1: no. Well, by the time. I'm old enough to remember he'd, he'd left the church and he went and worked for Oxfam. Um, Neat. And so that was kind of where, where that came from. Uh So I, to me, the, the way my life became was always there. We always did. We always looked after the people who didn't have a lot. Don't get me wrong. We didn't have a lot ourselves for a lot of the time, but Mm -hmm. um, that was what you did. You, you shared what you had with others. You, I, I remember I, I do remember at primary school being embarrassed and now I'm embarrassed that I was embarrassed then but I remember being embarrassed that I gave out Oxfam Christmas cards because that's what we did. We bought our Christmas cards from Oxfam and I thought people are going to think we shot at Oxfam and all that stuff around shame and everything when you're a child whereas now everything has to come from a you know where we can we do buy those things for organizations that make a difference. So that was my childhood. I just grew up in a do-gooding family, um, but music was my bag, and I played the flute. I so did was quite I. Good. There's a load of, of charity sector people who played the flute. Really? Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but
1: it was so easy went to, to carry. Music
0: it was one of the instruments that was easy to carry. But so yeah. you went to music school. So you you I went, went to Chetham's in Manchester. Yeah. Oh, a little bit more intensely than I did. Well,
1: yeah, kind of
0: maybe. Yeah. Uh, but got there and decided I didn't want
1: to be a musician, but didn't know what I did want to do. Uh-huh. I went and did a business studies degree because isn't that what everybody does when they don't know what they want to do. Yeah. Um, and in my final year, I saw a job advertised at the Hallé Orchestra in Manchester, which was kind of a busman's holiday because it wasn't being a musician, but it was working in an orchestra. And it didn't matter to me what that job was. I just wanted to work for them. And it just so happened that it was in their fundraising department. Um, there was no way I was ever going to get it. I, I didn't have any experience. I didn't have any anything. Um, but I had passion in bag loads and a life that was very centred around fundraising and around music. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get the job. Quite obviously, I didn't get the job. They wanted a sponsorship manager with experience mm-hmm. and I didn't have any of it. But they created me a training role. They created a fundraising <sighs> trainee role for me. Oh, which nice. was just the most amazing start because I got paid to learn I got paid to to learn how to be a fundraiser which I'm well aware not very many people get these days I've never
0: I've never heard an organization well it it happened in my first organization where they paid for me to go and learn and take conference courses and things like that but I still had to do the job at the same time Um, I've never heard of that before that's amazing
1: so it was, yeah, and it was wonderful. Um, and I got, I mean, I got amazing training. I got sent on the National Arts Fundraising School run by the Management Centre. So I learned, I learned from the best. Yeah. And I don't think I really because oh, you didn't know at the time, I didn't realize just how lucky that was and just how good that was. Mm-hmm. Um and then I went from there to an opera company in Leeds and there I spent a few years there working on corporate sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Uh And got some amazing private sector sponsorship training there. And then via a friend of a friend of somebody or other, I was asked to apply for a job at the the Imperial War Museum to go and help run their Capital Appeal for the Imperial War Museum in Manchester.
0: Did you enjoy Um, fundraising at the time?
1: Totally loved it. Absolutely. Look, fundraising was everything. First, second, third, fourth, fifth in my life. I was rubbish at asking for anything at all in my personal life, uh. but go and look somebody in the whites of the eyes, having warmed them up, and then said, "I'd really like a gift of one hundred thousand yeah, pounds." Absolutely, I was properly in my zone then. Really, <laughs> really loved it. Huh. Um. So yeah, went and did the capital appeal for the Imperial War Museum in Manchester, which was an amazing honor, an amazing, amazing experience. Um. But. I got to the point where I had a biggish team and I wasn't getting to do any fundraising anymore I was getting to manage and Mm -hmm. attend meetings and and I wasn't doing the bit I really loved I wasn't actually seeing any donors or that just wasn't happening Um, Mm -hmm. and so when the capital appeal came to an end and the museum opened I said that I didn't want to continue I was on a fixed-term contract And I was given the opportunity to to have that turned into the long, and I just said, I'm going to, now, I'm going to have a go. And so I took the plunge at age, I don't know, 28-ish, 30-ish, decided to go freelance and go and just work on fundraising projects without any of the, the management stuff. And the irony is the Imperial War Museum, again, luckily for me, gave us access to the most amazing management and leadership training we had We went to Roffey Park Institute in the South of England. We had two full, really intensive weeks of amazing, amazing training and coaching, which was absolutely phenomenal. I don't know, again, many organizations that do that, but I wasn't ready to hang up my fundraising spurs yet. I wanted to carry on doing the asking, not the managing of the people doing the asking. So I went freelance and I went freelance for a number of years but ended up keep getting in places where they said could you just help us with this issue with the team could you just help us with this issue and and eventually I grew to love the managing bit as well I don't know whether becoming a mum becoming responsible for another whole other human being and so needing to have that nurturing responsibility helped me grow to love the other side of it as well Mm. Um, and then so I ended up in a number of instances going and working on projects where i was dealing with teams or helping teams do specific things rather than just asking for money
0: it sounds like you were really loving that work
1: oh yeah absolutely so what happened? i would <laughs> what happened okay so in uh, <laughs> what happened in 2016 so just short of five years ago from now uh i out of the blue first person in my family either side of my family was diagnosed with breast cancer um and while i was told we had found it early i was also told that it was a really aggressive form of breast cancer and that i was going to need the (laughs) as the surgeon well as the specialist puts it the whole kitchen sink throwing at it um so within i think within i saw my gp i saw my doctor a week later i was seeing a, a specialist in a hospital and a week after that uh, i had my diagnosis and two weeks after that i was in in hospital having surgery to have the lump wow. removed they didn't waste I any did. time
0: how no. long how
1: old were your kids two and nine. Oh my goodness two and nine um Jeez. and <laughs> and i think i took i think i took about maybe six, possibly seven weeks cumulatively of maternity leave with both of them. So being off work, being not able to work for nine months was something totally alien to me. It's the first time I've not worked for nine months since starting work. It was very bizarre. Hmm. And so I had the surgery and then I started chemotherapy and the drugs, because of the type of cancer it was, I was on, there are no nice chemotherapy drugs, are there, but they're there to do a job. Um, I was really, I was really poorly. I ended up with appendicitis. I ended up um, on a lot of occasions. I can't remember how many I stopped counting, but a lot of occasions I ended up not with my blood count, having not, well, my blood levels, neutrophils and something else. I can't remember the word. I could have told you this off the top of my head four years ago, (laughs) but the levels that your bloods have to come back up to in order for you to be given the next dose of chemo mine hadn't come up enough and it, it wasn't safe to have another round. Hmm. So that was, that was, that was the toughest bit, the, the mental, the mental thing about going and, and not being well enough to be treated was, was really tough. Um, I also ended up with a heart condition, um, which I still have today. Um, but I eventually got through, uh, I think it took me about two and a half months longer than it should have done, but eventually I got through that. Um, And then because the lump when they removed it was larger than they had been able to see on the scan. After finishing the chemotherapy, I then went back and had a full mastectomy. Um, But then because I had the chemo drugs out of my system, I started to feel (laughs) I didn't look like me. I started to feel a bit more like me. Mm. And so I attempted to run back into work.
0: Wait, what? What?
1: I went back with drains still in. I still had drains coming out of the side of me and I tried to go back to work. I just, it was where I, it was where I was me. It was where I most felt like me.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Albeit that lockdown has totally changed that. I didn't think I'd ever get nine months at home with my girls again. Obviously I have now, but I didn't think I would. It was, there were some great things about it. Obviously there were some not so great things about it, but yeah, I tried to go back to work.
0: You say um, you tried to go back to work. How did that
1: go? Head didn't work. My, I had brain fog. I couldn't focus. I I had lost all the things that made. Yeah, I'd kind of lost me really. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd lost reasoning. I had lost. Now I begin to I began to doubt my gut feeling. I used to be fairly will go on, we've tried this enough, or it's worth a punt, or yeah, but let's just test this, or I just lost all of that. I couldn't, I couldn't do any of it. And I couldn't focus. I have still have quite poor short term memory. And I've no idea whether that is because of the chemotherapy, because of the instant overnight menopause that I got put into because of the chemotherapy, or whether it's a combination or nothing to do with either of those two. But I, I do have a pretty shocking short-term memory now. I have to write lots of things down. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't, I wanted it all to spring back straight away and just to be me straight away again and without looking in a mirror for that to happen. And it just didn't, I had, I just couldn't do it. And while the organization were amazing, I wasn't, I was awful with myself. I was vile with myself because why couldn't I be the person that I was right a year earlier
0: so you had all this physical trauma but also (laughs) quite a lot of psychological trauma as well I mean the thought that you may have incurable cancer with young children um the thought that your identity was wrapped up in your work and you couldn't do it anymore that must have been tough It, it
1: yeah the the, the mental trauma was definitely, definitely harder than than the other. Um, it's It was a really strange combination of wanting to make every single minute count in case my minutes were limited mm-hmm. and yet wanting it all to be over as well. I would want to go straight from having treatment one week to it being the next week to have the treatment. I didn't want to have to wait and I didn't not that you can't tell that I'm quite impatient, but I waiting is not a concept that comes easily to me anyway. <laughs> no, me neither. Um, me neither. Yeah. No. Um, and then, so my older daughter, Sophie, was nine at the time. Mm-hmm. And in her primary school class of 28 children, within maybe 12 months, in a space of 12 months, four of us were diagnosed with a potentially life-ending illness. And by November, 2017, I was the only one still alive.
0: Um,
1: There was another, yeah. There was another mum, a lovely lady called Angela. She also had breast cancer um, and hers returned. Uh, There was a dad, a dad called Rob. He had mesothelioma uh, and he unfortunately died. And then my very good friend, Claire, um, she was diagnosed with motor neurone disease and she died in November, 2017.
0: That class um, must have just every child in that class must have been worried for their parents that year. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, and and ongoing and and how do you tell your children that the doctors are, are confident that they've cured mummies when all these <laughs> <laughs> other all these other parents are and their and their their parents, you know, their we took my my friend Claire, um, her son Seth, and my Sophie were were best friends through. Best boyfriend, not 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 boyfriend and girlfriend, but best boy and girlfriend, if you will, going through primary school. They're still really, really close now. Um, but I I then suffered obviously with this huge guilt, huge, huge guilt about why had I survived and they hadn't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that kind of finished me off mentally and psychologically. That was the the final straw that literally just broke me. Mm-hmm. And I remember eventually going because then I felt guilty again about going back to the doctors and saying well look I know you've got rid of my cancer but now can you help me with this I just felt like I'd I'd had my bits I had I don't like asking for help anyway and they had done the cancer well now can you I needed a life that that was worth living I was just I wasn't doing anything it was horrible and I I did say that to them I said you've cured me you've given me a life but I'm just not what's the point what's the point yeah yeah I can't and they were amazing absolutely amazing um I saw a um oncology psychologist um and who who literally just piled everything up neatly with me and put it all back together and said this is this is what we do we just we we sort it all out we put it back in and we we try and put it back together uh count one good day as a good day and then count two good days as two good days and then we get to the point where you have more good days than you don't. And yeah, and yeah, there's a point four years ago, I couldn't have told you this story because I just couldn't have said it. And then three years ago, I couldn't have told it you without crying my eyes out. And now I can. And now I just think, well, for the sake of those three people who aren't here, I just have got to sort my sorry ass out and do it for them because... Because otherwise I really, really have wasted that opportunity. And so I guess
0: that's in the back of my mind a lot of the time. That's, uh, that's very powerful. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> that's kind of, the, the irony is
1: that um, because of this weird little world that we live in and that we operate in called the charitable sector, mm-hmm. even when I was ill, I still had the work stuff going around my head. The thing about, you know, um, prevention is better than cure. And the earlier you can catch it, the better. And the only reason I found my breast cancer was because some lady I will never, ever, ever meet uh, posted a picture on Facebook that got shared that I happened to see. Uh, and it showed, you know, a, a dimple like a child has in their cheek. Uh, yeah. It showed that a really, really subtle dimple in the side of this woman's breast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, And I didn't think, I saw it and thought, oh, that's not what I'd have thought of when I, you know, when you talk about dimpling, that's not what I thought it would look like. Mm -hmm. Didn't think any more of it. And then one day literally was pulling up my socks and saw this thing and thought, oh my word, that looks a bit like that woman. So went back to Facebook. Mm -hmm. Facebook saved my life is not a strapline that I was comfortable (laughs) living with, but actually (laughs) went back and found the post. Yeah. Went, showed my husband and went, does that look like
0: that? He went. Just a little bit, yeah. Oh well, so well, I love seeing your breast on Facebook every year. Well, yeah,
1: so <laughs> I then went and shared my yeah.
0: picture. So well, and then I um, run into the mirror and go, okay, wait, am I dimpled? Yeah. How are my breasts yeah. doing? You know, it it's important. It's so and it's important. it's everywhere. I
1: remember Sophie coming home from school and telling me that she'd showed <laughs> she'd showed everybody in show and tell. It was like, <laughs> no <laughs> 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 my my boss at work and, and it and you know, 76,000 people shared the Facebook post Wow! It was in newspapers. It was, it was, yeah, it's, I have a, it's now an X left breast, but it's fairly famous all in its ex ness So
0: lots of memories of that in <laughs> yeah. <throughout> the world. <laughs> but what, what I think is so fascinating about your story and every, everybody we know has a story of resilience and comeback. Most people, right? and sharing yeah. your story will help someone else come back right and yeah. now you seem to live a really purpose driven life completely different from your other one how did you what was that what was that transition like for you i think i don't think i had realized until
1: i couldn't do it just how important being part of that process of making a difference was. I thought it was, I I thought it was the love of the chase. I thought it was a bit of the challenge. Um, one of the things, you know, had we been having this conversation seven years ago, one of the best ways to tell me, to get me to do something is to tell me that you don't think I can do it because I, I love proving people wrong. Oh, doesn't there's a a very big child still in me. (laughs)
0: Loves people like that. Don't they? Yeah. Um, but
1: I found that I just couldn't do it. I, I, I couldn't do what I had always loved doing. I now still have this massive fear of being asked to raise money for people. I just, I can't, it's, and I know it's something I need to work through, but I have a huge, big psychological block around. Well, what if I take something on and I let them down again? What if I get ill again and I can't finish it? What if I, what if I can't do it? What if I I have to try? to see mm-hmm. if I can and at the moment I, I still
0: I'm not at that point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I also you, you don't sorry. have to sorry. You don't have to. No. Because, uh, yeah. You're you've moved into a completely different space where you're helping yeah. so many other people um live health. That was
1: the thing was that I
0: decided I can't I can't do nothing.
1: Yeah. I tried domestic goddess. I was absolutely abysmal at it and um, that won't come as any surprise to anybody who knows me. Um I can't, I love being part of a sector that wants to see change for people. I love being part of that story. Mm-hmm. Um But I had to find a new way of doing it. And, right. and I guess my own self-realisation around, I can't do this anymore in this format, so what can I do? Then led me to start looking at, well, what happens to other people who've been like this? What's happened to other people who have either burnt out or, or whatever it is that says there's just something that happens that says just you know just for this time mm-hmm. being I can't do this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what I found was we're not very good at looking after those people those people tend to have burnt out and left they've gone somewhere else they've they've taken a totally different path in life and are choosing to find their purpose by volunteering or by something else but they're not and and that's I couldn't. That didn't sit right with me. I didn't want to give up on it. So I went looking at well, what would make a difference for people? Right. Hey. Brilliant. It's brilliant. So, <laughs> so, so,
0: what, so you're, you're sorry. Go ahead.
1: No. So what I was saying was, there are so many people who, well, it's kind of not too late, but who have already left or who have already been through burnout and who, you know, they've been burnt by it. Um. So it's what what can I do for those people, but also what, what can I do to help stop people from getting to that point in the first place? Yeah. What can I do for individuals to say, do you know what, there is another way? And the irony of me teaching
0: people about life balance is well, not a lot. Okay, so not lost. I, that is the question that I interrupted you with earlier is um, do you think that work life balance is achievable? Okay, so uh,
1: controversially, uh, I don't believe in work-life balance because I think the actual terminology suggests that work has equal weighting to the whole of the rest of your life. And mm-hmm. um, I think that your your life should be balanced. And for me, that means a huge part of it is always gonna be work, but it also means that that's on my terms and that at the point of which, I go, do you know what? I've, I've tipped a bit too far on the work balance this week or today or whenever. I am then free, unable and and totally capable of tipping that balance back and saying, so tomorrow or this evening or whatever, I'm going to do this thing. And I'm also, that that balance changes. Some weeks it'll be far less work and far more mum or yeah. wife or daughter or just being me and doing Absolutely nothing, or whatever. It, but but that balance is an ever-evolving, multi-dimensional thing. That says there are some weeks where work takes more than its fair share. But then that balance has to tip back. Not that work is just this endless concept of more. And once you've delivered more, that becomes the new norm. And then there's some more more to
0: have on top. And unfortunately, listen. So I, I, I listen to your I listen to your podcast where you talked about it being like a what's that thing. That toy. Yeah, there's a
1: kid's toy and it's so a you have to balance on it. There's a ball on the bottom and a platform on the top, and you have to. I can't remember what it's called. But you have to balance, and so there'll be some days where you you you're bent in a totally different shape than other days. But that that balance is is different. I mean, look at what the last twelve months have taught us about balance. None of us knows where yeah. home we're is all, and where work is and now. where yeah. any of these <laughs> things are. There's yeah. no way. I thought you would ever catch me saying, I achieve my balance in life by going to the tip and having a McDonald's drive-through, but I get out of the house and someone else cooks me a meal. It's ridiculous.
0: So for, for any North American listeners, the yeah. tip is the local dump.
1: The dump, yeah. So um, yeah, so taking our rubbish to the dump uh, gets me out of the house and going through a McDonald's drive-through means
0: someone else has cooked me a meal.
1: Yeah.
0: Yay. Your yeah. Life balance. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I guess it changes how we measure that, right? Yeah. I um. We've talked about when I was restructuring my life, and this book, Designing Your Life, get, asked me to go through an exercise of the four four quadrants: love, play, work, and health. And because I've, I'm on my husband 2.0, the love was off the charts. it was beautiful. Um, we play and we go to theater and we do dancing. so that was check. but my health wasn't great and my work wasn't great yeah. And you you have you take it even further um, to this these circles of wellness. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: so so they're not
0: my circles. I'll be honest; uh, they
1: are.
0: <laughs> oh, but you, I thought you were so smart. Full
1: disclosure: uh, <laughs> they are the Gallup, Gallup, Love Gallup. Jim Jim Harter of the Gallup organization. Uh, I watched Ted, his TED talk uh, while I was convalescing. Is the wrong word? While I was sulking, basically, about what on earth was I going to do, and this this concept of well being kept, kept kept coming up, but when I talk about well-being I don't mean hot stones and the Buddha and yoga I mean the full gambit of everything in life and I went looking for well what is there a term that's better than well-being and there isn't (laughs) so uh, but Jim Harter has a TED talk about what is well-being and it's absolutely amazing it was it was as as impactful on my well-being career as Dan Polotta's TED Talk on uh, fundraising was for my fundraiser, it was that whole life-affirming. It's all right to invest in yourself. It's all right to invest in, um, and I just loved it. But in the work that I did, I realised that actually within those the five spheres that they identified, which is uh, career, social, financial, community, and physical well-being that actually you could be, it was possible to be doing okay in those, but to have, to psychologically not be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's me, I've added the sixth of psychological, because I think that's where so many of us, sometimes the cause is within those original five, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's Mm -hmm. just from childhood or from somewhere else. And it's trauma from uh, somewhere else, sneaking in. Yeah. So so that's where that's how I ask people to look at their well-being is to score themselves on on the Gallup's five and my additional one.
0: It's fluid too, right? Because at different stages in your life, you're going to uh, have to take a little bit of attention over into this area and this area. And and so how do you I mean, it might sound like this conversation has nothing to do with the social sector, but it has everything to do with it, right? everything in in, in passion driven organizations how many of us think that if we compromise all of those other circles of wellness um we'll get stars or promotion or we'll do better so how do you help organizations overcome and shift that culture i guess it's two
1: things it's it's persuading them of the benefit of well what what would happen if you put that right out the heart of your culture? Uh, and the question is, but what if your staff were able to come to work at their best every day? Yeah. Who, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want the Claire you saw at interview every single day? Yeah. Well, you would, because it's taken me a while to say this, but get me at my best. And my best is amazing. However, get me at not my best and it can be really abysmal there is there is a big scale um and what you want is you want me at my best for as much as you possibly can have me at my best Mm -hmm. and here's how to make sure that you get me and everybody else in this organization in that way we make sure that all the other things that could be impacting anywhere else are all either dealt with or dealt with for now, or are secure enough that yes, we can we can park them temporarily, mm-hmm. and we can turn up at work, and we can do. None of us are in this sector for the money. None of us are in it for the fame. We're in it to come and make a difference. We're in it to go and help to play our part in helping somebody else, help somebody else, or something else, or empower somebody. Or sorry, or we we're here to 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 just make things a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Well, why not have me at my best doing that, not have me at my tiredest or my most mediocre
0: or my, it, it kind of just doesn't, doesn't balance. It occurs to me that um, if we look at all of the spheres of wellness that you talk about, and if if an organization embraced all of those spheres, as opposed to just looking at the work sphere then they would get people showing up as their whole best selves right absolutely or even just just you know ask the question
1: how can i help you be more amazing today it's one question it's one really simple question how can i help you be more amazing today and and be willing to consider or at least take a step forward or listen to the answer it's no you know if somebody asked me what what do you need behind you what else do you need to allow you to go and do this more it would just be that's the thing it's about it's about being able to 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 change more not hours being more or stress being more but
0: more empowering sometimes the answer to that question is so simple i need to come into work a half an hour later because i have to drop my kids off at school in the morning And that causes so much stress in my home and in my life. Um,
1: Exactly. I think it will be interesting the number of organizations that I have challenged on my own basis, as well as for others about, do people really need to come in the office every day? Do they really need, if you're talking about a commute of a couple of hours each way, which many of us have done at times, do you really need me in every day? Or what about if we surely it's the best person with the best outlook, not the best desk that's most important. And I think it'd be very interesting to see how many of those organizations, once restrictions do start to lift, insist on people coming back to work because, well, that's what's been wrong with the work we've been doing for the last 12 months? it will be an interesting right. interesting thing to see.
0: Uh, CEO Mark Herlihy, who spoke on the podcast last week about personal mission statements, Is going to come back in a few weeks with a podcast about how their organization has completely restructured and i saw i noticed on facebook he was selling all of their office furniture said we don't need an office my life is so much better without this one hour commute and my my husband said to me just this morning he said it's hard for me to imagine that a few years ago i was commuting two hours each way on the train a total of four hours and I think, why did I ever do that? But I had to do that to get to where I am now. I mean, these things sometimes you need to go through those things. But the way that you help organizations see that, and and your point about what if your staff were on top of their game every single day, what could you, you know, just imagine what you could do, is incredible. But also the personal courses that you have, these yeah. online courses. Um, from for me, the, the you call it what is it? Change the stories, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, I think so. One of the things around that whole sixth sphere, the psychological sphere is we, and this is possibly I could be totally talking out of turn, it tends to be more women than men. I'm not saying men don't have it, but it tends to be more women than men. my
0: experience. I think there's some, there's probably some social science behind that, but yeah. let's just go with our gut but, and our experience. But, you know,
1: imposter syndrome and the guilt complex and uh well, I'm not good enough or I'm not skinny enough or I'm not young enough or I'm not this enough. I'm too Northern, too fat, too old, too wrinkly to all the things that, that I know in the back of my mind are still sitting there somewhere. And then just by how can you change that outlook without needing to go through anything quite as, seriously psychological as i did you know but but but, well what happens if you put yourself out there i had never i'd never presented at a conference when i was a fundraiser i've never never done any of these things and i just decided well what's the worst that can happen the worst that can happen is you can be a bit crap at it or very crap at it but actually because i've done the research i did a big big piece of research myself i love learning i love going and finding out more about this this now seems to be this is the thing that lights my fire this is the thing that gets me as excited and as feeling like i can make a difference Mm -hmm. by without without ever having to ask for any money again but by saying how can i help you do it what is it? What are the things that are getting in the way? What are the things that are getting in the way of you doing your day job that aren't actually your day job or your life? What What is your day job getting in the way of? When was the last time you did do something for you? Mm-hmm. And that's not that that whole balance concept. I don't do a lot of the work I do is for me because I totally love it, but mm-hmm. it does mean that I can put it down when I need to because. That that pot is helpful And I now need to go and, and rebalance up some of these other pots. It's and that's where I'm trying to help people. So there's one about even just considering, well, what is life balance? Do you have a balanced life? What might a balanced life look like to you? So, and how could you then move from where you are in imbalance to to what could be more balanced? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, this this latest one around what well, changing changing those stories we tell ourselves that tell you mm-hmm. I can't go on that I'm not good enough for that or I'm not as good as them or I'm not as wise as them or not as experienced as them or nobody be interested in me those those stories that that when you actually say them out loud you feel a bit silly saying but when they're in your own mind yeah. they're more powerful than anything else out there than anybody else mm-hmm. telling you anything yeah. and that's where I'm trying to trying to get to really
0: well it's incredible right we it's hard to believe but other people don't think about us nearly as much as we think they think about us (laughs) right (laughs) and and sometimes those things that we tell ourselves in the head in our heads we would never say out loud to somebody we love ever no 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 and and
1: so uh, we overplay so many things we we inherently hear a bad thing and hold on to it but don't hold on to the good things Mm -hmm. so somebody can can tell you how amazing you look or how amazing a piece of work you did is or how great you made them feel Mm -hmm. Uh, but the bad stuff sticks longer the bad stuff's harder to get rid of
0: Ask anybody, um, ask anyone who's received a session evaluation from a conference session. And there's like that one person that shouldn't have been in there. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Yeah. And, and and I think it's ironic because to me, a lot of the work that I do with organizations is actually around great management. It's about, well, the, the, the root of a number of these problems is, is just the management skill isn't there or there's not just quite that level of expertise. Mm-hmm. And the giving and receiving of really useful feedback mm-hmm. is one of the most powerful things you can do. But the idea is to, to get to it before it gets to be awful feedback, to get to it where it's before it's, and to deliver it in a way that isn't just, is it, taken in the spirit, it's intended, but is also is delivered in the spirit. It, it's intended and is de- it's delivered helpfully not not as a squashing exercise
0: coming yeah coming at it with good intentions i mean as as a consultant um when people come and they want their fundraising fixed the problem isn't the fundraising the problem is always cultural it's always upstream it's always leadership and um trying trying to to go upstream and fix those problems is then then you can have a successful afternoon. revenue generation program. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So that's what you do. So and that's what I do. You seem to love it. You seem I to love it.
1: it. <laughs> I totally love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, as of next week it's all I do because our schools are going back. So I don't have to homeschool anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> just, we're all just so... a little bit
1: exciting for me. <laughs>
0: Well then maybe you'll come back here and we can think of other ways to radically collaborate on something. I would love that. Absolutely. Well, and also
1: I have the intention to physically actually get there as well as on Zoom. Oh good,
0: really? That's my I wanna, yeah. Never been to North America, wanna go. Oh, well, you must come. You must come. We'll go with some girlfriends on some hikes and see Canada. When the world opens up again, that's something to look forward to. When we're
1: allowed to, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. Claire, thank you so much for sharing your incredible story. Um, Folks, you can learn more about Claire's work on her website, clairewarner.com, or join her charity Wellbeing Hub on Facebook. You won't regret it. And of course, we'd love you to subscribe, share, and participate in the conversations at intersectionhub.ca. Thank you for sharing some of your day with us. Paul will be back soon. And until then, see you next time.